0: the Beulah Girl Podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hello, listeners of the Beulah Girl Podcast. After a little medium-sized hiatus, uh, this is Susie Lolly, and I brought home a baby girl who's not a baby; she's a toddler. And Carol had a had a full season with her husband and summer and everything. So, uh, we're back. We're at the daily grind today, and we're here for another season of the podcast. We're so excited. Today, we're actually beginning a series on um, holding fast in troubled times. We're going to talk about spiritual apathy. We're going to talk about warning signs we've just got a lot of really good episodes prepared for you in the next month so without further ado we're gonna go ahead and talk about um, in this particular episode why so many Christians find it difficult to hold fast to their faith and what does even hold holding fast mean so I'm gonna turn that over to Carol yeah, so I have this cool story that I want to start with.
1: And Susie, I just have to say I'm so glad that you're here with me because it has been about a year
0: oh, wow. since
1: <laughs> co-host Susie Lolly has been here. She is still a co-host, but like she said, she's been going through some foster stuff, mm-hmm. which hopefully we'll be able to hear about in a future episode. And then also my schedule didn't really allow for us to get together much last year. So I'm so glad that she's joining me and I always have so much more fun. When she's on the podcast. But for this first episode and really this series, I wanted to uh, focus on holding fast your faith. This was something that was, you know, a, an idea that I came, you know, kind of was coming to me a couple of weeks ago. And I kind of feel like I live in my own world um, as a stay at home mom. I'm at home a lot with, you know, young <laughs> children. And I kind of wonder sometimes, you know, am I hearing from God? Am I on the right track? So I asked God, I said, you know, this holding fast idea, I was looking at Revelation 3, which we're going to get to in a minute, and I said, you know, am I even on the right track here? And this week, it was it was cool we had a thunderstorm and our cable always goes out. When we had a when we have a thunderstorm and I was fiddling with the remote, I had reset the cable box. I was going through all the steps of trying to make it work cuz my 3-year-old wanted to watch Paw Patrol. <laughs> and as I was fiddling with the remote, I just hear on the TV, it had been this blank blue screen. And then all of a sudden I just hear holding fast and it really caught my attention. And I looked up the TV that had been blank before was working and it was a show that I had never watched before as a 700 club. It's on the Christian broadcast network, which right. I've never watched before. <laughs> I had no idea we even had it. And I had been watching TV the night before um, which I was pretty sure I was on a different channel but there was a segment where it was basically um, on the 700 Club they were basically talking about um, some prominent Christians there's a worship leader for Hillsong and then there was um, an author Josh Harris who wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye remember it <laughs> but you know it's been on news headlines and so forth but both of them basically publicly came out Josh Harris renounced his faith um, and the worship leader just was not necessarily renounced the faith but just has been open about the fact that he feels like he's losing his faith and has questions and has been very public about that and they were just discussing with pastors you know why why is it that people are you know slipping from the faith and it was just this little tiny snippet and then after a few minutes of it being on it froze up and, and went blank again, and our TV did not work again until the afternoon. Wow. But it was just this little snippet of, okay, God, I, I do know you want to be talking about this. And so here we are talking about holding fast and really what happens, you know, how, how do we get to a place where we start sliding away from the faith or just get complacent? And so I want to look at Revelation 3 to do that.
0: Yes, we're going to go into that scripture, but I just think it's so cool that we have a God who, I've heard it called God winks, you know, we get these little God winks or these little whispers that let us know that truly this is confirmation. And again, on a future episode, I'll talk about the way we got our little girl, but there were definitely, it was like God nods, I mean, like really big signs. And so um, we still have a God, you know, his word is living and active, but also he's living and active. He's still very involved in what we do. And so he's not somebody we want to be apathetic towards. So we're going to read a scripture from Revelation 3, the church of Sardis. So um, if you want to talk about that and read that, Carol.
1: Okay, so Revelation 3, 1 through 4, it is a lengthy passage, but just hang with me because it is well worth it and we're going to really break it down because it can be a little confusing, but it says to the angel of the church in Sardis, "Write These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy.
0: And as I'm listening to that, I know we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about spiritual apathy, but it's funny that you picked that particular church for this episode because that's the one that's always resonated with me. Because I feel like in our society, if you just look like a better Christian than the person next to you, people automatically assume you're holy, you got it together or whatever. And it can be easy for individuals, myself. I know I've experienced times when I just was acting the Christian way, (laughs) but inside my heart was, you know, not necessarily losing faith in that sense, but uh, definitely not as close to God as I had been. And there's times I've even seen, you know, my personal church body. It's not that you're engaged in some kind of gross, obvious sin, but he rebukes the church who looks alive as much as he rebukes some other ones that you're going to talk about later that, you know, are in just willful sin. So I, I think it's really, this is a really timely topic that we're talking about. So can you tell us how you define or how you've seen defined spiritual apathy?
1: Yeah, and let me just for a moment, for those people maybe not familiar with this particular um, church or this verse. So in this particular section of Revelation, it's Jesus You know he's giving this message to John for several churches. Mm -hmm. There are actually seven messages, and they're for churches in Asia. And in chapter uh, three of Revelation, there are three churches that are addressed. And this particular church, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. they're they're the reason that they're rebuked. If you look in the passage, is because they were very active, but they it was outward only. Right. They they were literally Jesus describes them as being spiritually dead and um, they were engaged in the outward forms of religion, they were going to church, they had programs, but yet there wasn't that living, active relationship going on with, um, with God, um, and they weren't actively doing His will, and He wasn't pleased with it, and so it's kind of a hard passage to look at. But what we can see from this passage really is it helps us to define, okay, what is apathy? And I just want to give a definition. This is from the Cambridge Dictionary. But apathy is described as a lack of interest or the attitude of not caring resulting from it, behavior that shows no interest or energy, and shows that someone is unwilling to take action, especially over something important. That that last part, unwilling Mm -hmm. to take action, especially over something important, was particularly piercing, I think, to read. Complacency is also a word I wanna look at. And this is the feeling of being satisfied, thinking that you're in, you know, thinking one way about yourself and not really actually knowing the danger you're in. And that's kind of the position that some of the, you know, the majority of the members of this church were in is that they were indifferent, but also complacent in that they didn't even really know the situation they found themselves in. They didn't know the danger because they kind of, I think, figured, hey, we're, we're doing all these good things, right? We, we're active. We've got religious programs and they had a great um, reputation in the community. But guess what? They had a great reputation because they had compromised so much that no one was going to, you know, no one was going to say anything bad about them because they didn't stand up you know, for any values that would challenge people or would step on any toes. Sometimes you have to do that as a Christian and they weren't doing that. So they had just slipped into comfort
0: and complacency. And as you're, you're I know you're gonna get into some more examples, but it reminds me of the Pharisees. The Bible, you know, Jesus to their faces called them whitewashed tombs. They looked so good on the, the outside and I think a lot of us can play, Can we can speak in Christianese, we can go to church every Sunday. But I think this is a tremendous wake up call, not to be fearful, but that, and you're going to get into this more, but you know that God has a plan for us that's not just to look a certain way. It's to be a certain way. It's to be changed from the inside. So can you tell us, um, you have some specific ways that we can become apathetic?
1: Right. So I I was doing some study of this. I do like to do some study. And I looked over a commentary, it's called The Biblical Illustrator. It has just a collection of writings from different pastors um, from, you know, uh, from quite a while ago. But here's some things that I came across. So a couple ways that we can get in a complacent state is number one, we quench the spirit of God, Um, that we, we're Christians, we've accepted Christ as our Savior, but we we stop listening to the spirit of god or we resist when he nudges us to do something and we do that repeatedly um, because we don't like what he's telling us or we're busy at the moment or it's just not really convenient and we're we're resisting and um and so we're we're really stopping the flow of the spirit in our lives um number two another way that i think we can grow very complacent is we stop feeding ourselves with the right nourishment that we um, neglect to spend time with God by reading his word, or we're just kind of checking off the box. We're not really actively trying to hear from him. It's not a priority. Maybe, you know, like the night before, we're staying up late every night to watch, you know, movies or something. Maybe we got this show that's keeping us up to midnight and all of a sudden we can't get up for a quiet time and it's becoming a habit and it's starting to really impact us because we're not we're not receiving the right nourishment. And then three, um, another way I think that we can grow very complacent is we allow worldly pursuits and comforts to distract us and consume our time and energy. So again, instead of putting priority on God's kingdom that all of a sudden it becomes more important to maybe look online for new furniture. Not that those things are bad or it becomes, you know, we're surfing social media, but it's, it, there's no moderation there. It's more like we're doing that for hours in our day and we're not really giving the time that, that any longer to, to pursuits related to God.
0: So we're going to kind of do a teaser here because we really have, uh, anytime we read God's word, it's not just don't do, don't do, don't do. He provides, you know, way out. And we're going to talk about that actually specifically later on. But anyway, so we can hear how we can become spiritually apathetic, but we also can learn some things that are kind of action steps or observations. So uh, let's start with two of those and then people have to stay tuned for the next episode to hear the third one.
1: Okay. So the first uh, idea I want to kind of take away from this passage is obviously um, Jesus is giving John this message for Sardis. and really it's applicable to all believers. Um, we can take something away from this um, so that we don't fall in a similar state or maybe if we have fallen into complacency that we can take, you know some things away from this message and really, you know, revive our spiritual life and get to the, you know, and really wake up if we um, have kind of fallen into slumber. God knows everything about us. There is nothing that escapes his notice. If we look back at the passage in Revelation, Jesus is telling the church of Sardis, I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So essentially what he tells them is that even though as a church, they have a reputation for being a, one way in the community he actually is saying that he is a dif- different assessment of their actions and his assessment is always going to be accurate and so similarly with us he has an assessment of our hearts of how we're doing of the work that we're doing and the idea that's given in revelation is to Here in this passage is not just to base our assessment of how we're doing spiritually on what others say about us because a lot of times we do that you know we'll we'll get a lot of compliments from others or others will say something so we kind of base you know our idea of how we're doing on what others tell us or even our our own thoughts a lot of times we'll have our own thoughts about you know how um, we're doing but even we can deceive ourselves and the idea given is that God will give us an accurate assessment of our actions and he will tell us if we're drifting, if we're on track, if we need to change an area, if, you know, there's an offense we need to let go of, if we need to go back and apologize to someone, if, you know, perhaps there's a step that we skipped, there was somebody he wanted us to witness to that we need to go back to that. That it's only in opening ourselves up to him that we can know what we need to do differently. Um, and that isn't necessarily the easiest thing, but it's necessary. Psalm 139, one through three says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. What it's telling us here is the idea that there's nowhere that we can go that God, doesn't see us that he doesn't know about us he everything nothing is hidden to God he sees everything about us the thoughts we're going to think before we think them the words that come out of our mouth before we even say them our motives he's aware of information about ourselves that we don't even know about our own selves my mom used to say to me God knows you better than you know yourself and I used to argue with her as a little kid and say, that's not true. How can that be true? And yeah, he does. He knows things about me that I don't even know. And he knows things about you that you don't even know. So we might be able to just to fool people around us. We might be able to fool ourselves, but we can't fool God. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And so again, we just have to open ourselves up to him, be willing to do that so that he can shine his light and really just tell us how we're doing. And that's what Jesus is urging the church here to do, is to allow um, allow themselves to be open to listening to what God has to say about them and to make a change because they are drifting down the wrong path of complacency. And even though they have a good reputation, that God is not pleased with, the, with their work and he wants them to make a change. So similarly in our own lives, just being open to what God would have to say and really not focusing so much on just looking one way outwardly, but really allowing inward change to take place because God knows everything and is able to tell us things about ourselves that we ourselves don't know.
0: And then your second one was God warns us because he loves us. So tell us a little bit more about that. Right,
1: so it's really unpleasant to have Jesus tell us we need to change in an area. Um, but one of the things that he, you know, he's telling this church of Sardis, not because he's telling them, well, you're dead and now there's no hope for you. Um, (laughs) he's telling them you're dead, wake up, rouse yourself. There's danger ahead. Right. But he's telling them in advance, um, it's not too late to turn things around. And often our first response when God warns us or tells us, you know, maybe gives us an inkling that. Maybe there's something in our spiritual walk that needs to change. Um, A lot of times our first reaction is anger. We feel despair or anger. Um, We feel like maybe there's no hope for us, so why try? But God tells the church what he does here, um, what he does, so that they can make a correction, so that they can be restored to their former effectiveness. And he does the same for us. The Bible tells us it's because of his love for us that he corrects us. Um, We can consider ourselves actual, you know, sons and daughters of God um, if he's correcting us because it tells us that in scripture that he corrects, you know, those he considers a son or daughter. Um, And another point I wanna say too is that in our society, a love that corrects sounds really strange because Mm -hmm. what, at least from what I'm hearing coming from our culture, is just this idea that love is just letting someone else, letting ourselves and other people do whatever it is that they want. Mm -hmm. And that is what is being promoted as love. But what we see about God and about love is that God's idea of love is he gives us what we need not always what we think we need or want he knows a lot of times what it is we need and we may not even know yeah and so the idea here is just that he's warning this church and he he sometimes brings a warning into our life not because he's not being loving but because that's part of love is giving somebody not just what they want all the time but what they actually need
0: and uh, it's cheesy. I'm always going to bring things back to a song, but I was thinking of, as we're reading these two you know, notes from the passage, that song, The Heart of Worship, back from the 90s. It probably came out in, like, 97 or something. <laughs> it, back when Hills' song first came out. But anyway, um, the song said, you know, you search much deeper within past the way things appear. And if we stopped right there, that could be like, I don't want God to see everything. There are many days when I'm acting a certain way and I'm like, You almost feel like you can hide it from God even though he made you. Not that I'm in, don't get worried or anything, Carol. I'm not in some, but I'm not in some rebellious state toward God, but I definitely have become apathetic at times or distracted with the baby or just whatever it is. Um, If the song stopped it, you're looking into our heart, you see past the way things appear, that would be kind of scary. But I love that he warns us because he loves us. So the chorus of the song says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Like He invites us back into a relationship with him. It doesn't mean we've like completely walked away or anything like that, but just on those day-to-day things where we may kind of get in a ditch, God invites us to come back to him, and he's always wooing us, and he's a loving father. So um, I really love that. Even though, like you said, the words he says to that church are harsh, but he ends it with saying, um, you know, if you don't wake up, he's wanting them to wake up. And he's also complimenting some people there who are walking in white, which we'll kind of talk about a little bit more. So um, I'm going to go ahead and pray as we close this out, but we want you to stay tuned because the next episode is going to give you the third takeaway. And then also we're going to talk more about uh, some other advice that Jesus gives us in the passage god we love you we thank you god that you do give us a warning you're not somebody who knocks us upside the head spiritually and and just leaves us uh so many other faiths that what's so powerful about knowing you lord is that it's all about love you sent your son to die because you knew we couldn't get it together we needed a perfect example we needed a perfect sacrifice even though you set the law and you are a god of justice you also made the way to fulfill the law how very kind you are God how very kind you are that you don't expect us to do all kinds of work and measure up God because you're the one who enables us to do everything and how kind you are God that you do give us a warning when we're trying, when we're getting off track when we fall asleep God you don't leave us there Lord Jesus you said you won't leave us comfortless that's what the Holy Spirit came for so I just pray God as as people are listening to this episode Lord that maybe they're one of two mindsets God either they feel like that they're okay, and maybe they need a wake-up call, or maybe they're on the other side, and they just feel like they cannot measure up to you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you meet both of them with love, God, and you draw us back to the center of your grace and your will. We thank you for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen.